Well, if you're new with us today, my name's Dylan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I am thrilled that you're with us, and I especially want to say, man, if it is your first time ever in church, or maybe it's your first time back in a long time, we're honored that you're here. We're thrilled that you're here, and especially if you're here and you're trying to figure out, like, what is Christianity all about? Um, You've got some questions. You've got some maybe concerns. Well, the next four weeks, we're going to be doing, like, a very broad overview of what we believe. And in my mind, like, without what we talk about the next four weeks, like, you don't end up with something that is Christianity. You end up with something that's an imitation of it or a distortion of it. So the next four weeks will be incredibly helpful for you if you've got questions. Here's how I want to start off this morning, and we can all answer by show of hands, and we can all be honest. How many of you, if you're watching online, just like drop it in the comment section, would be brave enough to admit that you've got a little bit of crazy in your life. Show of hands, show of hands. Online, just write down, I've got crazy in my life. Most, if not all of us, have some crazy in our life. If you've got kids, you know, whether they're filling up a diaper or whether they're just starting out in school or whether they're teenagers, if you're a parent, you know you've got some crazy in your life. Amen, parents? Amen, amen. If you're a teenager then man, you've got crazy in your life between school, between extracurricular activities, between friends and social media. Your life, it probably feels a little crazy. It could be that you have a crazy work schedule. Life is just busy. Maybe you have a boss who you're like, "Ah, it's just kind of crazy even showing up to work. Or maybe just maybe you're sitting there and you're like, You ain't got to tell me about crazy because I'm married to it. Do not poke them. Do not elbow them. Do not point fingers. That is another message for another time. We've all got a little bit of crazy in our lives. And so often the crazy we experience comes from things that are outside of us, things that we may not have a lot of control over. But I think if we start to get really transparent this morning, The fact of the matter is that sometimes the crazy in our life, whether it's intentional or not, is completely self-inflicted. And it becomes self-inflicted when, intentionally or not, we don't follow the right set of directions. Which brings me to this. These look very normal, right? This is a doorstop. If you're a very observant person, you may have noticed that these are not on our doors this morning. You might say, why are they not on our doors? Well, because earlier this week, we had a visit from the fire inspector. And did you know these harmless little things on our doors are illegal? Uh-huh, exactly. That, that's what I thought. He went through this building and there were like 27 different things. He's like, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that's against the law, you can't have that. And this is Thursday and it's a stressful season for me. And so like our fire inspector's visit introduced some crazy and some chaos and some confusion into my life. But if I back up on that, it's like, well, it's not the fire inspector's fault. He's just doing his job, even though I can't say I massively appreciate appreciated it in the moment. Ultimately, that comes back to me because even though it's completely unintentional, I was not following the right set of directions. 
So I want to take that idea and apply it broadly to our lives. Could it be the case this morning that if you've got some crazy in your life, if you've got some chaos or some confusion in your life, could it be possible that the reason for that is perhaps because you're simply not following, intentionally or unintentionally, the right set of directions? Which, of course, begs the question, what directions do we tend to follow that are actually the wrong directions that result in chaos and confusion and crazy in our lives? Well, you could sum up our default directions that we tend to follow that ultimately end up in crazy and crazy and chaos and confusion by this phrase right here. If it feels right to me, then it's right for me. If it feels right to me, then it's right for me. Which sounds good. It sounds like it makes a lot of sense. But it's actually setting us up on a foundation that's incredibly, incredibly unstable. And anytime you build on something that is not stable, the result is instability. So here's, here's, how, here's some of the problems with this line of thinking. Let me take you back to your first middle school crush. Like just rewind, go back in time. Like maybe you were in sixth grade, seventh grade, and that guy or that girl walked in. And your heart just went all a flutter. You felt like you had butterflies in your stomach. They had like a halo over their head. You're like, oh my gosh, God, thank you. They're the one. Who would admit, just being honest, you had that moment in middle school? You had that moment, come on, folks. You had that moment, you're like, I'm gonna marry them. And like, you were committed to that for all of three weeks. And then you found somebody different. You might say, what's the point? The uncomfortable truth about the idea of if it feels right to me, it's right for me, is the things that we think are right tend to change over time and in different seasons of life. And anytime you build on something that is inconsistent, what you get is unstable. And our feelings and our emotions and our thoughts tend to be very, very unstable. Maybe it was a dream job that you were like, that's the job, and you loved it for like three weeks, and then you're like, it feels like hell on earth. Or maybe it was an opinion about, I don't know, whatever, and then 10 years later, you changed your opinion. We just tend to change our mind on things and so what I think is right, what I feel is right, what looks good, what sounds good, doesn't make it good. And so I am not the best authority. You are not the best authority on what is right. We tend to change our mind. The second problem with this line of thinking exists because we do not live in the world by ourselves. We live in it with about seven or eight billion other people. And what you might feel is right for you might directly conflict with what somebody else thinks is right for them. For example, you're driving down the highway, you're on I-95, 
It's 65 most of the way. By the way, like some of y'all need to know that. It's not 70. There's a good chunk of it. It's 65. You need to know that. But let's just say you know it's 65. You're going 72 miles an hour in the left-hand lane. You're already breaking the law. You're speeding. You're in the fast lane. And you're like, I've got my cruise control on, and I'm not touching my cruise control. How many of y'all are sensitive about your cruise control? You get cruise control on, it's like, it's like I'm not changing it. And then that guy comes up behind you. You're not going fast enough for them. They're going like 80, and now they're all over your bumper, and they've got their brights on, and they're flicking their brights at you, and they're telling you that you're number one, but you're like, I'm not changing my cruise control. Then they pull around you, and they cut you off, and now you're angry because what you thought was right, which I personally think it's godly to keep your cruise control at one thing. That's just me. But what you thought was right wasn't right for them and you result in conflict. And this is ultimately probably the biggest problem with the idea of if it feels right to me, then it's right for me. Because when everybody else in the world applies that framework to the way they live, to morality and to ethics, what you end up with is a framework and a system where anything goes. And when anything goes, everything breaks. When anything goes, everything breaks. And some of y'all, or I would even say all of us, have been on the receiving end at some point of someone who operated with the mentality of anything goes. It feels right to me. It sounds right to me. It, it seems like a good thing to me. And so I'm going to do whatever I want at the expense of you. That could have been an absent parent when you were a child. It could have been a betrayal in a marriage. It could have been, if you're a teenager or a preteen, being bullied by somebody bigger than you, stronger than you, more popular than you. We've all been on the receiving end of, if it feels right to me, then it's right for me. But if we get really, really honest this morning, we've also been the perpetrators of that in the lives of other people, haven't we? Something feels right in the moment, something seems right in the moment, and we do it, and it ends up hurting people. Because when anything goes, everything breaks. When anything goes, the inevitable result is pain inflicted on other people and great instability in our lives. Because when you start off with inconsistency, you get instability. On the other hand, when something is constant, the result is certain. When something is constant, the result is certain. So think about this for a second. Two plus two equals what? It's not a trick question. Two plus two equals what? Four, four. You're watching online, just type four in the comments. Four. Let me tell you the beautiful things that happen because two plus two equals four. Because two plus two equals four, your car started this morning. 
Because cars don't run on fuel, they run on math. That needs fuel to work. If you're watching online because two plus two equals four, your computer turned on and you were able to go to a webpage and now you're watching this. If you drove here and you stopped at Bojangles or Hardee's, which are great substitutes for Chick-fil-A, it's not open on Sunday, and you had a biscuit, because two plus two equals four, you were able to eat a biscuit because baking requires precise math that actually works every single time. And because two plus two equals four, we have air conditioning in this building that functions and works. Nobody wants to be sitting here in a sweat box. And I don't want to pre- sweat while I'm preaching. When something is constant, the result is certain. And so here's what I want to ask this morning. Where do you find uncertainty in your life? Where do you find instability in your life? Where do you find things that just simply are not constant and unstable in your life? What is needed is to live our lives by a standard that is constant, stable, and does not change. So that begs the question, what is that standard and who do we get it from? Well, I believe the best place to get that standard is from Jesus. And the reason for that is because of not what of he, not because of what he said, but because of what he did. What did he do? He lived a perfect, sinless life, and then he predicted his own death and resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And I just think when you can pull off your own resurrection after predicting it, you get infinite credibility. So with that in mind, what did Jesus build his life on when he walked on this earth? We find that out in Matthew chapter four. Y'all come along with me, check this out. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Watch what Jesus says next. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did Jesus build his life on? We find it in his response to Satan here. Because Satan brings up the real fact that, Jesus, you're hungry. You have a need and you need to meet it. And guess what? Because you're God, you don't need to go to a restaurant. You could make stones into bread. Why not just do that? But Jesus' response tells us so much about what we are to build our lives on because his response to Satan is ultimately this. Yes, I have a need, a physical, real, legitimate need. And you know what? As the son of God, I don't need stones. I could actually speak bread into existence. But I'm not here on earth to operate based on what I feel or even what my body needs. 
I'm here to operate based on one thing and one thing alone, and that is what God has said. Because what Jesus would tell us is if you want to build your life on a foundation of stability, you need to build it on something unchanging. And what we know about what God says is that God never changes his mind. Numbers chapter 23. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so the words of God are completely certain and completely stable. And you might say, well, why should we buy into that in this book? Because we believe the words of this book are not simply a single book. They are the very words of God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy that every scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the miracle of what we call the Bible is not that it is a single book written by people, compiled by people. It is that it is a Spirit-inspired book. And the Holy Spirit inspired 40-some authors over several thousand years on three different continents to pin the words of God, and they all tell a consistent, singular message and contain the very words of God. Why did Jesus say we live on the word of God? Because it's not a religious textbook. It is the words of God. That is why as a church, we believe the Bible is God's word. It is unchanging. It does not shift with politics. It does not shift with what is popular in culture. It is solid and fixed, and it is our standard. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The standard is what God says. It is not what I feel. It is not what I think. It is not what is popular. It is what God has spoken and recorded in his word. If you want stability in your life, if you want consistency in your life, then you build your life on what God has said. In fact, Jesus makes this comment, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand that shifts and is not stable. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. If you want stability in your life, consistency, certainty, the answer is to build your house on the rock of God's word by hearing it and applying it to your life. But Pastor Dylan, you might say, some of the things God tells us to do are really difficult. And just to be perfectly honest, some of the things God tells us to do I don't like them. To which I would say, I get it. There is a lot that God says that, man, it's not easy. In fact, I would even say this. 
I don't think anything God commands us to do in his word is easy because it goes completely against the way we're wired. We're wired to live for ourselves. God calls us to live for him. Of course, it's not easy. And I would even say this, man, there are even some parts of scripture, like when scripture tells me if someone has something against me, but I think I'm completely in the right and my motives were pure and it's their problem, guess who initiates the conversation about forgiveness and reconciliation? I do. Even though I didn't do anything wrong. I don't like, just honestly, I don't like that. I want them to come to me. So yes, there are going to be things in Scripture that's like, I don't like that. But you know what we do? We obey it not because of what it says, not because it's hard, not because we like it, but because of who said it. Because when a higher authority comes to you and says, operate like this, you might not like it, You might even think it's ridiculous. But because a higher authority has told you to do it, you are obligated to do it, which brings me back to these ridiculous little things. I'm going to be transparent, and if you work in the fire safety industry, this is not a knock on you. This is just my personal feelings. I can be transparent, and I have flaws. When I was told these are illegal to go on doors, I told the guy, I was like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. In full transparency, I might have shown a little bit of frustration towards him, which I feel bad about in the aftermath because he was a really nice guy. I think it is absurd that these cannot be on doors. It's my opinion. I think it's ridiculous, and I didn't like it. But you'll notice that these are no longer on our doors. Why? Because, as one of our volunteers told me this morning, if the fire inspector does not like what you're doing, and you don't fix it, they can just shut you down. Higher authority came to me, said, do this. I don't like it. I think it's ridiculous, absurd. Guess what? These are off the doors. They're not going back. So it's sad. I'll go to counseling for it. I'll get over it. I'll be okay. Y'all, God is going to tell you some things you don't like. They're hard to do. You might even think, they are ridiculous from your point of view. Guess what? Guess what your guess what my responsibility is? Guess what your responsibility is? It is to submit our lives to the higher authority, which is God and His Word. That's it. And Jesus promises that the result of that is actually stability and consistency in our lives. But Pastor Dylan, you might say, I hear what you're saying. But man, I've experienced pain from people who said they were just doing what the Bible said, and I'm just not sure I want to be like that person. And if that's your story this morning, then I would first off say, man, I'm sorry. Because as a pastor, man, I too have experienced pain from people who reacted in a way that in their mind, they were just following the Bible. And it hurts. I get it. But if we can just be transparent here, haven't, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't apply to you. I'm glad you're here, but this, is, this doesn't apply to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, though, have not all of us inflicted pain on someone in some way because at the time we thought we were doing what God said in his word? 
which might beg the question of, well, is there something inherently wrong with this? Like, if I do what God has said in his word, like, am I just going to, like, be a jerk? Is there something wrong with this itself? And the answer to that is absolutely not. The word of God is perfect, reviving the soul. The word of God is flawless. The problem is not with what God has said in his word. The problem is with our incorrect, inconsistent, and selective application of it. Which, by the way, is the very next place that the enemy takes Jesus. And I'll say this. If the devil can't keep you from God's word and convince you to neglect God's word, what he will do is encourage you to incorrectly interpret it, incorrectly apply it, or at the very least, be very inconsistent and selective in your obedience to it. And here's how he does this. Check this out. He says to Jesus here, back in Matthew 4, verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down and watch what he says next. For it is written, in other words, Jesus, this is God's word. This is the Bible. You can build your life on this. You wrote this. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against the stone. Just just jump. God says you can. You'll be safe. Watch how Jesus answers. It says, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Which brings me to four quick rules I want to walk us through for correctly and consistently interpreting and applying the Bible. And honestly, if you don't remember anything else from this morning, you need to remember these. If you're like first checking out Christianity and you're trying to figure out what all this is about, You need to know these. The first rule for correctly understanding and applying the Bible is this. The Bible interprets the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. The best way to understand the Bible is to read the Bible because the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God. For instance, what did Jesus say when the devil's like, well, it's written? Jesus responded, yeah, but it's also written. The Bible interprets the Bible. We have to be so, so careful, especially if you're here and you're a follower of Christ, that we do not fall more in love with someone else's take on the Word of God than with the Word of God itself. So I'll say this. If you look more forward to hearing your favorite preacher, it doesn't have to be me, by the way. I doubt it is. I'm definitely not the best there is. It is what it is. I was reminded by that of a, by a student when I used to do student ministry. But if you look more forward to listening to your favorite preacher's podcast or reading a devotional book or reading your favorite theologian's commentary more than you look forward to sitting down with a Bible and optionally a cup of coffee, then something is way off in your spiritual development. 
because our love should be for the word of God, for the very words of Jesus. We believe there's nothing better than being with Jesus and we hear his voice in our word. And listen, I'm all for devotional books. I wrote one. I'm all for commentaries. I'm all for listening to other guys preach. I do that. But y'all, listen, there's nothing better that's going to benefit you spiritually than sitting down with God through his word. Because the best way to understand the Bible is to read the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. The second idea is this. Context determines meaning. How many of y'all are interested in the book of Revelation? We can be honest. Throw up your hands. Throw up your hands. Throw up your hands. If you're a Christian, you're probably like, I'm really curious about the book of Revelation. That's great. That's awesome. Here's the mistake so many people make with the book of Revelation. They take a book that was written in a first century Roman Empire context and try to interpret it through 21st century America. Did it just get uncomfortable in here? You cannot interpret the Bible through a 21st century lens. You can't. Context determines meaning. Let's take another one. It'll be a lot of fun. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Awesome verse. Love the verse. It is true that you can do exactly what God has called you to do through Christ. But the meaning of that verse, he's talking about contentment and even the ability to be generous. And Paul's like, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. It is not a blanket verse to apply when you go and play a game. Context determines meaning. The scriptures around a text, the setting of a text, context determines meaning. Rule number three, the New Testament interprets the Old Testament. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, over and over he says, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and then he expounds on it. For instance, he says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He doesn't abolish the Old Testament. He clarifies it and takes it deeper and takes it beyond the behavior into the motives and desires of our heart. The New Testament interprets the Old Testament, and last, the clear interprets the unclear. The clear interprets the unclear. How many of y'all are like kind of sort of curious, maybe you've been a Christian for a while, about what the unpardonable sin is? Show of hands. You've got questions. You've got questions. We can admit it. We can admit it. Come on, like two hands. And then somebody like, I'm not really sure to admit it. The unpardonable sin. Okay. Jesus said, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be forgiven. But whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So it's like, what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's a fair question. But what we know through the rest of the New Testament is that the single thing that determines whether or not you spend eternity with God because of his forgiveness through Christ or eternity separated from God apart from his forgiveness is very simply one thing. It's whether or not Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. And so the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is the utter rejection of the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Christ. When the Holy Spirit knocks on your door and says, hey, you're far from God, 
you're sinful, you need a savior, give your life to Christ. And you're like, nope, I'm good. We understand what is unclear through what is clear. So here's your application from today. Very, very simply. Read the whole Bible. Read the whole Bible. Read it five minutes at a time. Read it a page at a time, a chapter at a time, a day at a time. And if you do that over and over and over, as you expose yourself to the entirety of the Word of God, and you start to understand what He wants you to do, and then you start to do what He tells you to do in His Word, then the correct application of God's Word leads to life transformation through God's Word. When you correctly understand what God says, and then you do it, Man, it'll change your life. So can I ask you this morning, what needs to change in your life? What do you want to be different? What do you want to be better? Because I would submit to you that more than likely, the thing that's going to make the difference is going to be the correct application of God's Word to your life. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. You're probably not going to like it at first. So why would you do it? Well, ultimately, whether or not you obey the Word of God comes down to one issue. It's not willpower. It's not discipline. It's not desire. It is ultimately a question of who is calling the shots in your life. Jesus models that for us next. The, the final confrontation here. Verse 8 of Matthew 4, it says, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the question. Who is calling the shots in your life? Who's Lord? Because what can so often happen in a, in, a, in a church context is we can intellectually believe the right things about Jesus. We can correctly believe that he is the perfect, sinless, spotless son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We can believe that he lived a perfect, sinless life and that he went to a cross and died in our place for our sin to pay the penalty for sin that we owe God. And we can even believe that three days later, he rose from the dead and defeated death and sin and hell forever. We can believe all that, and don't miss this, and still not be saved. Because what can so often happen is we can treat Jesus like fire insurance. Jesus, I want you to save me, but I want to live however I want. And y'all listen to me. Jesus is not a fire insurance salesman. 
He did not come to merely get you a ticket out of hell. He came so you could give him your life, your will, your desires, your dreams, your family, your finances, your emotions, your sexuality. He came came so you could give him the entirety of your life. He did not just come to get you out of hell. He came to be your Lord. And by the way, you do not get Jesus as Savior without surrendering to him as Lord. You don't get Jesus as Savior without surrendering to him as Lord. So is he Lord this morning? And that doesn't mean you're going to get it all right all the time. But a good test is this. God's word is presented, and it says, you're doing this this way, and that's wrong. God says, do it this way. Is your response, God, conform me to what your word says, or is your, your response, I'll do it my own way? This has eternal implications. Is Jesus Lord? Lord?